I've been working with young people since I was 19. So it's been like about 46 years. I've been working with kids. So, so my wife doesn't like it. By the way, anybody that doesn't know it, that's my wife over there. Her name is Cheryl. And I am going to get killed for introducing because she's a major introvert. But anyway, that's my wife over there. Um, and I always say kids. You know, I'll be 69 next week. And uh, anybody under 40, to me, is a kid. So I, I have the luxury of calling that. My wife doesn't like that, but that's what I do. So I just have to tell you that, um, normally speaking, when somebody's preparing a sermon, you spend a lot of time in the Word and study, doing commentaries, Greek, Hebrew. You know, I mean, you really put in a lot of time. Because if you're a person who preaches God's Word and you don't take it seriously, you don't belong up here. Really, that's my, that's my feeling. If you are not going to take the time to be serious about it and put in the time, then it's just, it's just going to be pretty shallow. And so uh, I, I take it seriously when I'm asked to preach. So, and the reason why I'm saying this is because this last week, uh, my message changed four times. <laughs> You know, that's a pretty hard deal. I'm sitting there on Wednesday. I'm going like, I still, Lord, don't know what I need to preach. And um, so finally, in a conversation with my wife, Cheryl. uh, By the way, my wife's name is Cheryl. I just get convicted every time I say my wife as if she doesn't have a name. So anyway, I got convicted and the Lord just spoke to my heart. He said, these are the scriptures I want you to use. And this is what I want you to do. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. So um, I've spent probably on this message <clears throat> I probably spent more time in prayer on this message than I have in a long time. I mean, I got waking up at 2.30 in the morning and we're like, Go lay down on the couch and pray for two hours. I get up in the morning, I pray for an hour. My time was the Lord was praying for this message and praying for this church. I just want you to know, scum of the earth is really on God's heart. It really is. I uh, tried to decide not to cry on this one, but... Um, I'm just telling you what I feel tonight, tonight for this message is so intense. It owned me all week long, all week long. There's no, I was worthless to be with, uh, all of our family's birthdays are in September, except for Cheryl's, she's a Mark, had all this birthday stuff and everything. And I just, I just couldn't pay attention because of what God had deposited in me for this message. And here's how he told me to start it. It's going to be a little out of sync with what we're normally used to. I mean, we're used to like, let's put some verses up there and read them all out loud. And then you preach like a 30-minute, 40-minute message. And then, you know, you have a point or two. And I just got to tell you, it's a little out of sync tonight. I'm going to be out of sync with the way it normally does. And... um, but God has got a message for this church tonight. And uh, the title of this, as you can see up there, we've been talking about grace and truth. And here's what the Lord gave me. was that the heart and soul of, the, of grace and truth is His love for us. 
so he said to me, here's two verses. I want you to read this. And let my spirit just take my word and let it soak into the hearts of people. So I said, really? That's how you kind of want me to do this? All right. It's not the normal way. And I kind of felt like, Lord, I don't really care for normal. So um, so if you'll let me, I have two, two, two verses from the Old Testament. And uh, this is meant for whoever is in this place. This is meant for you. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The Lord wanted me, the Lord just kind of said to me, um, the Lord just kind of said to me, Hey, Will you give my kids a message for me? That's kind of what it was. It's like I'm driving along. I'm listening to the song, Good, Good Father. I love that song. And then the Lord just kind of downloaded in my heart. He said, hey, i got a message I want to give to kids. You know, we're all kids in his eyes. And he said, would you tell my kids that I love them? And before time was, after time is done, in between all of that, I have loved them. I have loved them. I have loved them with an everlasting love. It's an eternal love. So many of us are so beat up. Life has trashed us. Jobs messed up. Family messed up. Uh, marriages messed up. Things have happened to us. We've got walls. We've got calluses. We've got things in our heart that just block God. Block God. We just like stiff arm Him. We're just like, no. And we don't even know we're doing it. And yet, what I think God wants you guys all to know, and me too, because I got the same thing. He just wants me to tell you. And it's not a trite saying to me. I don't say this tritely at all. This has been like a rock that's on fire that's been burning in my gut. God wants you to know tonight, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you're sitting here right now thinking about what you're going to do when we're done. It doesn't matter what's in your heart. It doesn't matter. Nothing really matters except the love that God has for you is so powerful and it is so intense. He just wants you to know and not only to know, but to experience the love that's everlasting. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And then, this is the other verse. It's up there. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. Rejoicing over you with singing. And... um there was a song that I heard. I, um, I don't listen to much Christian music. Um, but I heard a song that quoted this verse. It said, even right now, you don't even know it. But right now, what God is doing, He's singing over us. God is here right now. Not ethereally. 
But God is here right now in this room. And you know what? He's not only in this room. He lives in each one of you who have received Christ as your Savior and who have eternal life. And guess what he's doing? He's singing. He's singing. And his song is love. Now, I got to tell you, I struggle with the word love. I am, you know, all right. I graduated high school in 1967, the summer of love. The Beatles anthem, all you need is love. I mean, we all say, and, and you know, and from that point in time, love has got so many definitions. And Christianity has taken every single definition the world has and attached it to the idea of God's love. And we say that's what, that's what it means when God loves us. And if we're not even close, God's love is in such a different universe. God's love is in such a different universe. It's otherworldly. It's otherworldly. And... and, and it's nothing like what we explain. And I don't have the words to explain it. Now, I looked up what the Greek word love means, and I'll tell you what it means in a minute. But God's love surpasses everything. There's not a wall, a barrier. There's nothing that God's love can't penetrate if we will let it. God loves us, and that's the message He gave us. It says here, the mighty one will save, He will rejoice over you. That word rejoice means mirth, brightness, cheerful, delight, and festivity. Right now, in the Spirit, we can't even see with our eyes, we can't hear with our ears. It's happening in the Spirit world. God is having a party over us. It's like a Holy Spirit party. Now, I'm going to get a little charismatic. I'll warn you right now. One of my friends says, calls it a Holy Ghost party. And uh, I don't like that, but it's fun when he says it. There is a party. There is such celebration happening over every single one of us tonight. And God wants to penetrate and he wants to move in to all the places where we disagree with that. Well, I... I'm not going to celebrate. I'm not going to party. I'm not going to have mirth. I'm not going to have God's gladness. And uh, by the way, uh, God, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, what is it you're actually singing over me? Because I'd like to give you permission to sing. You know what? He didn't ask for permission. When you said yes on the day you got saved, that's when you gave him permission to sing over you. Right now, he is singing love. He is singing love. He is singing love over every single person in this room. And, and it is his heart's desire that we let this soak in like a marinade, like a sweet marinade on a great steak would soak into every cell of that steak. And then when you put it on the grill and it sizzles and it snaps and it pops, and when you eat it, it's so good. God is wanting our church to let us marinate in His love. You know, we got a lot going on here. There's no doubt. Everybody knows there's a lot of stuff going on here. This is the perfect time for us to get our eyes off of all the stuff that's wrong. Not that we don't tend to it, but let His love. I'm going to guess, now see, I'm, when I say love, see, I'm not a smoochy kind of guy. You know, I'm not like, ooh, God's love, ooh, just all over me, you know, just, ooh, ooh, ooh. oh, come on, Jesus, give me a hug, you know, I miss, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm not like that. I mean, if God's going to show his love to me, he knows what my love language is. 
And he knows mostly my love language is honor. You want to love me? Show me respect and honor, even when I don't deserve it. That's how I experience God's love. But every once in a while, he'll whisper something to me. I had a dr- couple of dreams uh, last week. God speaks to me a lot in dreams. And I all first person I share them with is my wife. Then I have two daughters who are good at this, and then I have friends. If God communicates me, to me through uh, dreams, I want to make sure I'm just not, you know, I haven't gone and visited the ganja man somewhere, and I'm just, you know, that's a, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that anyways. But. And in those dreams, I just, I was melted. I was just, oh, God, you love me so much. I felt God's love. That's the way he wants to do it. There's no cookie cutter way. There is no cookie cutter way. God knows your heart. And he wants his love to be imparted. And he's singing over us right now. I'm telling you right now, in the spiritual world, we not only have the Father singing over us to quiet our hearts. You know, there's a lot to be disturbed about. You know, I know this about scum. It's a social justice church. We do all kinds of social justice stuff. So a lot to be upset about. I could get a real good thing going here if I just mentioned the word Trump. True? We'd all be up all on that. A lot of trouble. But here it says that when God sings over us, He quiets our heart. You ever had that happen? There are times I get up in the middle of the night I'm just troubled. I'm bugged. I'm bothered. Just something bothering me. And I'll get up. I don't have a, we have a rocker. But I do my best laying on a couch. The air conditioner blowing me, especially in the summertime. And I j- get there and I just get with Jesus until, until I find that peace. The problem isn't solved. But I find that peace. And I know then he's been singing over me. God's love is very experiential. Can I go out on a limb and say this? That God's love, when we see these verses I go to next, God's love is meant to be very experiential. It's not meant to be a cranial exercise only. You know, you got to remember, I'm not saying that we don't need study and we don't need information, we don't need knowledge. I'm going to be overbalanced on this. But there's an aspect to God's love. That is um, very experiential. All right, next slide. Well, we've already had two messages on this passage when we studied Ephesians. But God told me to go back to this. But I'm going to highlight something different. Um, can we do? Can I ask a favor, somebody? Um, in the last year, I've lost the sight in my right eye. It's hard for me to read that. Can somebody just read that out loud? Somebody that's not afraid of speaking in public, just read through that uh, real quick. Anybody, take a shot.
Amen. The core, if you could take like the core, like this machine, and you go like, you could just put it right in the middle of those verses and let, let's take the core out of this. The core of what Paul is talking about is love. It's love. And he has three separate ways he approaches this. So that's what I'm going to focus on in the next few minutes that I have. This is what's cool. This is a Paul, this is a prayer Paul prayed. Paul said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm saying a prayer now. I got to tell you, when I was a young Christian, uh, 40-something years ago, I prayed this whole verse 14 through 21. I spent time after time after time praying through this. I'm so grateful that Paul, you can tell Paul was just, there was something about what Paul had there. He just, I got to deliver this. In this prayer, this wasn't just Paul go, okay, let's see, uh, I got my pen here. Uh, what would be a great prayer? Oh, I think the guy needs strength. I'll write down the strength thing. And uh, people don't let God in their heart much. I think I'll put the heart thing down and I'll throw in a few things about God's love. No. If by the Spirit of God you could tap into what Paul was saying here. This is such an intense prayer. Actually, it'll mess you up in the best way possible. It will mess you up if we tie into this. And I think there's a, there's a thing with us. We don't like to get messed up. Don't fool with me. Don't make me say something. Don't let make me do anything. Don't fool with me. And you know what? God's a gentleman. He never will. He never will. He will never make anybody do anything. But when you start praying a prayer like this, man, this is, this is just awesome. So I'm going to just touch the first couple of things. The first thing, uh, verse 16, he said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with po- might or power through his spirit into the inner man. One of the things God wants to do, it's really great to be able to pray, God, give me strength, strengthen me, actually make my state of being stronger. He's talking about your inner man getting stronger. You know, it's not bad to admit you're weak. It's not bad to admit you're weak. Because that's when God's strength comes in. And when you talk, when you read all of Paul's writings, you can see he was a very successful religious man who was rich, well-known. He had it made in the shade, and he was killing Christians. God got a hold of him, knocked him down, didn't knock him off his horse. Never said he was on a horse. It just said he knocked him down. And uh, Paul began to learn the power of God's Spirit to bring strength where he's weak. And then it says uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is, uh, I could do a whole message on that. It's one of my favorite verses. But basically the idea is saying your heart is a home. And when Jesus first comes into your life, he doesn't get to go into all the home. He purchased the whole home, but he still gives us the right to let him know where he can go in our life. You know, Jesus is a gentleman. And so he waits until we invite him into this room and into that room. And we all got rooms in our life that we hide from God. We like to hide stuff. We are hiders, if that's a word. We like for God, we like to hide stuff. We like our secrecy. And we should. We should all have privacy. But with Jesus, that's not necessarily so. He wants to make his home in your heart through faith. 
Then it says, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now Paul is moving in on his real heart here. Love. He's saying if you want Christ to make his home in your heart by faith, the place that he starts is in your foundation. This is so awesome. Jesus really doesn't care as much for behavior as he does your heart. And that's where love is. And he cares for being rooted and grounded. That word ground, grounded is the same for foundation. And here's part of where God's love is supposed to go. In the foundations of our hearts. Now, so many of us grew up in families that weren't good. I grew up, my, uh, my folks, I grew up in Southern California in the 50s and 60s. I was a white boy, lived in the suburbs near the beach. It was the typical middle-class white family. My dad was a truck driver. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had two brothers and a little sister. Well, my dad was an alcoholic, and my mom was not an enabler. She hated it that my dad drank. She And she made him pay for drinking. He never gave up. But it was a typical alcoholic family. In my roots, in my foundation, there was not love. There was not God's love. I went to Sunday school every week. My little brown suit, a little bow tie, a little vest. You know, I had my little dress shoes, my Buster Brown shoes. I went to every week, went and I got the little pins for attendance and memory verses. And you know what? Not even a dent of God's love got into my foundation. I can't blame anybody. It's not anybody's fault. It's just the way it was. I got saved when I was about five in that Baptist church. I still remember walking down the aisle, somebody saying up front, uh, children's church, anybody want to receive Jesus, you know, come on up front. And I, I was bashful, you know, and I remember the lady that prayed with me. And I remember after that point in time, my life was radically changed. But what can a five-year-old and a six-year-old do? I was drawn to the things of God. But in my foundation, I had performance and behavior and rules. I grew up my whole life with that. It was not love in my roots. There was not love, God's love, in my foundation. When I finally got to walking with Jesus, that never changed. I viewed God as an alcoholic dad. And I viewed God as a, as a mean disciplinarian mother. And all he cared about was that I behaved and followed the rules and I found out the secret that would, what would make him happy. And I spent most of my, half my adult life trying to find the secret that I could behave and find the right rules, you know. And finally, when I was 34, a light bulb went off in my head. Bing! And all of a sudden, I realized there's something wrong here. It was God's Spirit. And God began a renovating work, and he began to do an excavation work on my roots and on my foundation. And he began to exchange out all that performance and behavior and rule-oriented junk and began to show me who he was and that he loved me. It was hard for me to accept God's love. (coughs) Excuse me. It was hard for me to accept that because I felt worthless most of my life. And to think... God really loves me? It took a long time for that to sink in. 
But that's what God wants to do. He wants to change our foundation to be the foundation in his love. And here's what the word love means. It's a word, if you want to like anglicize it, it's just pronounced agape love. It means what God prefers, his benevolence, his affection. You know, in youth ministry, I've been a youth pastor forever. Well, there's like three or four main questions kids ask me all the time. And one of them was, does God like me? Why is God mad at me? Does God like me? I said, you know, my answer for a long time was, yeah, God loves you. Then all of a sudden, Donnie, what they're asking is, does God like me? And I began to realize, God has great affection. This word agape not only means love and that God prefers you, but he has great affection for you. God's affection. Think about that. God of the universe, the mighty one, has affection towards you. But we have so many roadblocks that we can't, can't get down into our foundation. He can't get down into our roots to get that God prefers me. God prefers me. That's what agape means. God prefers me. So God wants to, first of all, change our foundation that it would be grounded and foundationized. See, I'm making up words as I go along here. Foundationized. Foundationally in His love. The second one is being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height. That word comprehend is the key word here. Comprehend. Yeah, look, somebody's got that red pointer. <laughs> Do that again. Who's got the red light? I bet you have tormented many cats with that thing. <laughs> Comprehend. What he's saying here is the love of God is not to be studied, analyzed, to be dissected and put in a box so we can understand it. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I lead Bible studies where I've got tons of young people in these Bible studies And I am all about getting into the Word and the truth in the Word. But tonight, I feel God wants to say, we we just, our brains are so big and our hearts just are kind of shriveled because we don't know that love. And this word comprehend, this is what it means. Cattle abano. How's that for butchering a Greek word? Kataba. That word comprehend means to seize, to take hold, overtake, capture. It means to perceive, and it means to own. It's very experiential. He says uh, when your roots and your foundation is in the love of God, then the next phase he takes you in is a lifelong pursuit of comprehending the love that God has for us. I've thought of it this way. Think of, now I always use surfing examples because I love surfing. I'm not a surfer. I'm a body surfer and a body surfer and a boogie boarder. Never had a surfboard. Love anything about surfing. But I love the big wave riders. One of the latest videos um, on Facebook is this guy that caught a 100-foot wave. 
in uh, Portugal. And they had a film and they had them coming up the backside of that wave. And then as the wave was building, you could see them go over the top. And then all you saw was this line that goes down across the face of that wave. And all I could do was stand there and go. I was just amazed. It mesmerized me. I watched that thing over and over again. When I saw Laird Hamilton ride a wave in Tahiti that was said at that point in time was the most perfect wave ever ridden since uh, the guys that did the Endless Summer where they found the perfect wave where they rode away for 20 minutes in South Africa and they rode it to the right. That kind of stuff, I'm like, that is stunning. I love flowers. I was at, this is kind of, not that great, but uh, we were at Whole Foods, the one over by our house, and they had all of these like fall flowers, just shells and shells and shells sitting in the sun, like their faces were turned up to the sun, drinking the sun, and they were oranges and yellows and reds. I just sat there like, I was caught off guard by it. I love watching extreme games. My favorite is watching the BMX bikers and the skateboarders. When you watch those guys drop down on that steep drop and they go screaming down there, they go up the other side. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I used to have a skateboarding, uh, I used to have a skateboard shop where we had an indoor skateboard park. I watch guys do this at my place. And then you go up there, and then they do these incredible tricks. I don't even know the names of them. It's like, how, how did that happen? And then they drop down into the half pipe. And then they take their skateboard, and they throw it, and they throw their hat. and ah! That stuff ca- just captures. You, you can't explain it. How can you explain that? That's what this word means. To comprehend God's love for us. I'm telling you, it's a radical. Most of us don't like change. If we want change, we want it on our terms. Right? Anybody disagree with that? We don't like change to come and when I'm not in control of it. And I think that's part of the reason why we resist that wonderful oh, God stuff, love. Because it requires that we surrender and let go of our junk. <laughs> One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is when I sit or stand with a young person. Watch him surrender. And God's love rushes in and the tears come. And in that moment, we're out of time. It's eternity. And that love of God is just all over on everything. And you sit with that person until it's over with. A person's life has changed. It's by love. God's love. Then it says, what is with all the saints, by the way, it's not by ourselves, it's with the community that we're with. 
with the saints, but is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. That means the multi-dimension. That means, you know, like uh, I've never done um, the, the virtual reality stuff where everything's 3D or I don't even know what you call it. Or you're playing a video game or movies where you see you can see inside and out. And you can see things that you can't normally see. It's not just one dimension. It's all the dimensions of who God's love. This is not just, it didn't say no Christ. It says the love of Christ. And it says it passes knowledge. Oh my gosh. Did we just breach upon something that seems sacred? I'm being a little facetious here. Oh my gosh. The love of God surpasses knowledge? Yes. You can't. It's what the word for uh, surpassing knowledge, the word surpasses means, okay, God's mark is over there in the prayer cave, but I'm just going to put a mark about where that chair is, and that's as far as I'm going to go. When it says God's love as far surpasses any knowledge, it's not saying that knowledge is bad. You got to have knowledge. You got to have knowledge. One of my, <coughs> one of my best experiences is when I was in seminary 150,000 years ago, I had uh, Craig Blomberg's cr- class. And I'm sitting there, and I'm taking notes the first day. It was on Epistles and Revelation. I'm taking notes, and all of a sudden I realized I'm getting fed from the Word of God. I threw my pen down. I didn't take notes. By the way, I got a B in the class. I put my, note, I put my pen down. I said, I can't take notes on this. This is too good. Next I think it was like Tuesday and Thursday. Next, on Thursday, same thing. I went through his whole class, hardly taking any notes. I read all the books, though. And I got to be in the class. But I was, uh, but so I am a big, big, big proponent of knowledge. You can't have love without knowledge. Otherwise, we're all just, love, no boundaries, you know. That's not what it is. Can you tell I'm being a little dramatic today? That's how I, I just feel like being dramatic tonight. Uh, But it says it surpasses knowledge. We need something more than just the information. We need the transformative, powerful love of Jesus Christ to get into our hearts and change things around. So eventually, you comprehend and then you're apprehended. Yeah, that's what happens. You comprehend and then he apprehends you. And I got to tell you, that's a wonderful feeling to be apprehended by the love of Christ. All right, I just got the high sign from my wife that I have five minutes, so I got to wrap this up. I told her to do that. Otherwise, I'll just go on forever because I love doing this. And then it says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ. That word know is the Greek word genosko. Uh, and it means like an intimate thing, like a husband and wife would know themselves intimately, physically. It's like, a, it's like an intimacy. And I got to tell you, when you're married and you, you know, you have the thing, you know what I'm saying? And you've been married for a while. You know what? My wife knows me. My wife knows me. I don't even have to say it. She goes, I can feel what you're going to say. Don't even say it. She knows me. I know my wife. To know is a, is a knowing that passes all understanding. And then it says, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When God's love has a permanent residence, ongoing, not just through Thursday and then Friday through Sunday, no, is a filling that happens. I just want you to think about when's the last time you felt full with God's love? I can tell you when. For me, it was earlier this week. Listening to that song, Good, Good Father. I guess got bombed by God's love. Now, I'm not advocating, one thing I want to make clear, I'm not advocating we become experience-oriented. This is beyond experience. This is an engagement with the Father. And often, people get turned off because you go through sometimes a year, two years, three years, nothing. It's like being in a desert. I know what that's like. I went through 18 years in a dark night. I spent 18 years in a dark night and a brutal desert. I know what that feels like. But God's love was present. It wasn't, an, it wasn't a feeling. It was an engagement that He would not let me go. So there's a feeling that comes. And I just, I just think it's awesome that we could have that kind of fullness with God. And then it affects your prayer life. Now unto him who's a, uh, verse twenty. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask, think or think according to the power that works in us. That's prayer. You know what? Sometimes uh, our prayer life is just focused on what's right in front of us, and sometimes we just can't help it. But when God's love becomes our foundation and our root, and we come uh, uh, comprehend it, and we are apprehended because of that love, it expands our heart. It expands us. It expands our ability to pray. You start getting bold. You start getting bigger. God encourages you to dream. I've been, I want you guys to know, since the Columbine shooting in which I was involved, because the two guys that did the shooting, there were two of my kids, and I got to share the gospel with one of them two nights before he pulled the trigger. Since that point in time, God has given me a vision of what he, what's going to be happening in this city. And I've gone all over this city praying for 18 years. Before, I was just focused on the kids in my youth group. But now, after that, God expanded my heart. His love for these kids, His love just expanded my heart. And now, I, 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 I dream so that I think, you know, He can do exceedingly abundantly above everything I ask or think about. That means, what are your dreams? God can be bigger than your dreams. I encourage everybody, when that love hits you, you can dream big. You can dream big. As big as you want to. And then the last thing is we touch eternity. Because in the end it says, To Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ for, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When God's love becomes part of who we are, to the level that Paul is talking about here, we touch eternity. And there's a glory that comes to God. There is a glory that comes to Jesus Christ when we let His love. Just think about this. Some guy rolls up, uh, I, I apologize to the vegetarians and the vegans in the room. I'm a meat eater. I love a good steak. I'm sorry. I don't even know what a vegan meal looks like. But a guy comes up and he, and he sits you down and you have the most expensive steak. You go to Del Frisco's and you have the most expensive steak and you can do this and that. Your bill's a hundred something bucks. And then what happens is because you enjoyed that, the chef gets the glory for it. 
That's a real kind of raggedy example of this. But that's what it's like. God gives us his love. And when we let that love just become just huge in us, he gets a glory that he can't get any other way. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. Application. All right, next one. Is there an application one? Oh, yeah. No, next one. Is there one that says application? See, this is why I don't do this stuff. Because I, I, I thought I had one. Okay. Ah, uh, sorry. Uh, then I goofed up. Sorry. All right. No, no worries. Here's the application. Revelation 3.20. This verse is always used for a gospel presentation. Billy Graham, all the great evangelists, use this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him and he will feast with me and I will him. Most people don't know that it's not a gospel message. Jesus was on the outside of a church, the Laodicean church. He's banging on the door. I want in because I want to do some great stuff with you. I'm not saying that Jesus is on the outside of scum of the earth because it's obvious that he's not. It's an example. I just feel like tonight in the Spirit, God is issuing an invitation. In the midst of everything falling down and going wrong, and would we be open for a fresh encounter individually and as a church of God's love. Maybe you never have experienced God's love ever. Maybe you experience it all the time. But I think in principle, the Lord's knocking on our door. Yeah, you guys got a lot of junk going on. But I'd like to give you what a great opportunity for the love of God to come in to redo our foundation to give us a comprehension of himself and a knowing of his love. We're going to do communion now. And uh, while we're doing communion, there'll be people in that prayer cave over there that would love to pray for you. So uh, for this communion, in the first century, they called communion because they had a meal with communion. They called it a love feast. This is really a love feast. And when you look on this table, you've got... The bread, which represents the body, and you have wine, which represents the blood. When a body and blood are separated, that means death. This is a table of love. That Jesus, out of the expression of his love, died for our sins. And if you believe in him, and you've received him into your life, this is your table too. He invites you to this table. So you got real bread, then we got the stuff that I have to eat, which is gluten-free crackers. So would the people that do communion come on up and uh, I'll say a prayer and then we'll move on. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray for fresh encounters of your love. Come in and wash over us. Come in and be with us. And Lord, give us new visions of your love. Fill us with your fullness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.